Well, good morning. My name is Derek Wheeler. I'm the associate pastor for students here at Staples Mill. I've been here for almost 10 months, so it's gone quick. And so if you're going to enact the return policy, you've got like two months to do so. All right. And then it goes void. But Pastor Jim has gone this morning to be at his grandson's baby dedication, which is an important moment in his life. And so we're excited that he was able to go be part of that. And so you will be listening to me this morning. And I've not seen a mass exodus yet, so that's good. But, um, you know, trying to think through what I would preach on. You know, I know I couldn't preach on 1 Corinthians this morning because that's what Pastor Jim's been doing. And I guarantee you I was not going to preach on what he preached on last week, prophecy in tongues. I was going to leave that one to him. So um, I decided as, you know, just looking through the 65 books left in the Bible, um, that I would preach on something that I'm just very passionate about, something that I'm convinced if we get it right as a church, individually, as believers within the church, that, that it could really transform our church, transform our, our community, and transform the world. And so what we're going to uh, speak about this morning is discipleship. So we're going to uh, preach on discipleship, and we're going to be looking at the life of Paul and Timothy and, and surveying their relationship to see what Paul did with Timothy as a blueprint or a strategy for discipleship this morning. Um, and so we're going to be in 2 Timothy 3, uh, starting in verse 10. But before we get into the text, I did just want to take a few moments just to make sure that we're talking from the same place. You know, discipleship is one of those buzzwords that we use all the time in the church. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but with buzzwords and words that we use all the time, sometimes they lose their meaning or sometimes we're meaning different things when we say it. And so what is discipleship? You can look all through scripture. You won't find the word discipleship. You'll find the word disciple, or you'll find the, the words make disciples, but you won't find the word discipleship. But we do know that discipleship is a, a process that we see clearly in Scripture. We do know that in Acts 11, the believers there, uh, that's where they were first called Christians. The disciples were called Christians there in Antioch in Acts 11. So we know that to be a Christian is just to be a disciple of Jesus, someone who looks to him as Lord and Savior and someone who says, I'm going to follow him. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian. And so if we're going to follow Jesus, we know that we have to listen to what he says. You know, he's commanded us to do certain things. The greatest of those is the, the thing we talk about all the time here at Staples Mill, the Great Commission, right there in Matthew 28, to go into all the world and make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that he has commanded. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. That's what Jesus commanded as he left. Those were the last words that he gave us. And so, as we think about the Great Commission, we know that it begins and starts with that gospel-fueled repentance and faith. That's what it starts with. It can't start with anything else. Otherwise, we're just behavior modifying. It has to start with gospel repentance. And so we know that that's the first step in the Great Commission. But the part I want us to focus on, we know it leads to baptism and then, you know, getting involved and, and being part of a local church. But the part I want to focus on is the teaching of all that Jesus commanded, the second part of that Great Commission. They come to faith in Christ, and then what do we do with them? We teach them all that he has commanded. This is what I mean by discipleship, that moving from unbeliever to believer and then from new believer to maturing believer in Jesus. That is the process of discipleship. And so this is what we are called to do. Now as a church, we have a pastor of worship and discipleship. Discipleship is a function of the church. 
sitting under preaching, being involved in life groups. These are all methods of discipleship. But the call here in the Great Commission that I want us to consider this morning is a call to radical life-on-life discipleship individually, something that we're all called to do. So if you really stop and think about it, if the goal is for every believer to love Jesus and to follow him, as we've already talked about, and we do that by going into all the world and preaching the gospel, that's the quote-unquote easy part. The long part, the part that takes the longest, is that teaching of all that Jesus has commanded. We know that God does the work. We know he brings people to himself, and we know that he instructs and informs and raises up the next generation of believers, but he calls us to be part of it. He calls us to be part of this teaching of the next generation, teaching all that he has commanded. So the need then is for every disciple, every Christian to be able to do that, but the need is also for every Christian to actually do that. It's an individual call for us to be disciples. And so as we think about this morning, what I want us to consider is the life of Paul and Timothy. See the relationship and see this call to individual, radical, life-on-life discipleship. So how do we do it? What's the strategy? Well, let's see what Paul did there in 2 Timothy 3, starting in verse 10. It says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So we're picking up this relationship between Paul and Timothy here in this text on the back end. Paul knows his time is coming. This is a relationship that's been functioning since Acts chapter 16. In Acts 16, you don't have to turn there, but in Acts 16, Paul comes into Derby and Lystra, and he meets Timothy, this young believer, a believer well thought of by the community there, but someone who'd already made Jesus Lord of his life. So Paul sees Timothy, and what he does when he sees Timothy is he identifies Timothy as someone that he wants to accompany him, someone that he wants to join him on his travels. And so what is Paul doing? He's identifying a disciple, and this has to be a, a posture that we take as believers ourselves, looking for whom we can invest in, identifying someone that we can disciple. This is what Paul did. Paul didn't lead him to Christ, and that's okay. He was going to invest 
in the life of Timothy. Now, this isn't some new idea to Paul. If you remember Paul's life before he was even a believer, he sat at the feet of Gamaliel. He learned from him, this teacher of the law. He, he watched him explain the scriptures. He watched him every day. He sat there and was, in a sense, being discipled by this teacher of the law. Now, not biblical discipleship like we're talking about necessarily, but he was discipled. This wasn't new to him. This wasn't a new idea. And I don't think it's a new idea to us either. If you think about it, we have apprenticeships, right? And in an apprenticeship for a trade or something like that, you go and you learn from somebody, someone who's been there and done that, someone who has the skill set that you're trying to acquire. We do this at work with leadership pathways. You know, you might be a good employee at work and they put you on a leadership pathway. So what do you do? You start sitting in on meetings to start learning from the leaders above you. Uh, sports for students, we do this, right? We, we send them to sports camps where they're with maybe college athletes who've been there, done that, and they're learning and then just experiencing and, and finding out how to do what they do better. This isn't a new concept to us. And Paul, it wasn't a new concept to him, but I would argue that Paul didn't learn this from Gamaliel. He learned this from Jesus, right? We know what Jesus did. He identified 12 men, and what did he tell them to do? He said, come and follow me. He identified 12 men that he was going to invest in. And he was going to invest in them in a variety of ways, but he identified them first and foremost and said, come, follow me. Here in verse 10 of, Tim of 2 Timothy 3, we see Paul saying, you, Timothy, have followed me. So what's happened? Jesus identified in his discipleship strategy. Paul identifies in his discipleship strategy. And I would argue that we are called to identify as well. The good news for some of us in here this morning is that this identifying piece is very easy. It's already been done for you. And who is that that you've already identified? Well, if you're a parent here this morning, God has already identified your, some of your primary disciples, people you're going to invest in. That is your kids, right? Deuteronomy 6, we know that we're, uh, parents are told to teach the laws of the Lord diligently to their children. They should talk of it when they sit in their house. They should talk about them when they're walking. They should talk about them when they lie down and when they rise, right? This is a picture of discipleship. And we know as parents, we're called to raise our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. We've already identified them. We have some already picked out. But even so, as parents, that we've done that, we're not called to stop there. We're called to be vibrant parts of the life of a church and to identify and invest in people within the church and even outside the church who we are going to raise up as followers of Jesus. This is a call for all of us to identify. So how do we do it? How do we actually identify people? You know, this is what we're called to do. How do we do it? Well, I would argue that our church can assist us in this. You know, think about it. If you serve in kids and student ministry, for example, what you have is opportunity to build relationships with younger believers or soon-to-be believers, we pray by the grace of God that they'll come to faith in Christ, and you're building a relationship and you have investment time with them each week where you get to pour into them and disciple. But what you're doing at the same time is you're identifying a relationship that the Lord may grow over time that becomes this life-on-life -life disciple that you invest in long-term. This is opportunity to identify. Think about life groups. Again, the same thing. We have opportunities where we meet in smaller, more intimate setting, but we have opportunities to sit shoulder to shoulder across from people where we're at a variety of stages, potentially, in our Christian walk. We have opportunities to identify those whom we could invest in, or vice versa, who could invest in us. This identifying can work both ways, but the first step in discipleship has to be identifying. 
when I think of this process taking place, I did ask her permission to share this, but my wife has always done this very well. It just comes natural to her, and we've moved a lot in the 17 years we've been married. She keeps count and to make sure that I'm aware that she doesn't enjoy moving a lot. And so uh, we've moved like eight times in the 17 years we've been married, but everywhere we go, she's always seeking someone that she can invest in. Why does she do that? I think she does it because it's what she sees modeled in Scripture. This is a way forward for discipleship. And if you just imagine with me what this would look like, every person in our church looking to invest in someone or to be invested in by someone, which means every person in our church is being discipled, every person growing in the church, and then every person actively doing and preparing to do the Great Commission. You invest here, and then you go and you invest out there, right? This is the call. You know, um, when we were members here before I left to take my first role in full-time ministry as a student pastor up in Maryland, and I stepped into a very difficult um, situation just for what, from what proceeded before me. And so um, I realized very quickly that I had no idea what I was doing. I have some idea now, that warranty thing, but no idea back then, okay? I, had, I, just was, I was lost, and I was kind of drowning, and I remember going home one night, and I said to Savannah, I said, I need a mentor. Basically what I'm saying is I need someone to disciple me. I needed someone to invest in me. Because I realized I had a lot to learn and I didn't know where to start. And so I started looking around and, and asking people if they'd be interested in discipling me. And I stumbled upon this guy who I'd known since I was two. So I didn't really stumble upon him, but I've known him since I was two. He'd actually hired my dad to work at the Christian school. And then he himself had gone into the pastorate and had been in the pastorate for 40 some years at that point. And so I went to him and I said, hey, would you be willing to invest in me? I identified a man who'd been there, done that, faithfully served um, thought well of in the community and, and, and the Lord had used in a mighty way. And I said, would you disciple me? And he did. And I learned a ton from him. I actually checked in with him this week because it's been a little while. And uh, he was telling me everything he's doing even today as, I think he's mid-80s at this point. He's doing more, this is shameful, he feels like he's doing way more than I'm doing as a full-time pastor. Like the things he was telling me, the men he's still investing in, he was up to like 10 or 15 men throughout the week that he's investing. It was just remarkable, right? A man who'd been there, done it, and identifies men whom he could pour into. So maybe you're sweating at this idea of discipling someone else. You're like, I'm not ready for that. Well, maybe your season is to identify someone to disciple you, to invest in you, so that you can then go and invest in someone else. But we've got to get in this habit of identifying those whom we could invest in. This is the model. This is the call that we see. Uh, we have student leaders down in our student ministry, and uh, we have 12 of them at this point this year, and I've told them all from the very beginning, I said, hey, your, one of your main roles is to identify a younger student that you can pour into, right? Raising up the next generation of leaders within the student ministry. It's a foreign concept to them, but it's an important one. As they learn and grow, they're to be pulling people along with them, but identifying is key. Now, we're Baptists, and so I'm going to go with alliteration. Everything's going to be an I today, all right? just because it makes sense to me. And so everything will be an I. And so we go from identifying to informing, all right? We are called to inform. And what I mean by informing is just to teach. 2 Timothy 3.10, he says, you, Timothy, however, have followed my teaching. So while a simple phrase, a very important phrase, these discipleship relationships that we identify, the root of them, what they have to be built upon is teaching, have to be built upon teaching, the relaying of information from one 
to another. So what did Paul teach Timothy? What was his aim? What did he go to? Well, we know from Paul's life that he was focused on one thing. 1 Corinthians 2.2, Paul says, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. What was Paul aiming at? What was the source of his teaching? It was the gospel, right? He always pointed to Jesus. That was the answer for him. He was going to point Timothy to teach it, to Jesus. He pointed the churches to Jesus because the gospel was at the center of Paul's life. Therefore, the gospel was at the center of Paul's teaching. It always came back to the gospel. And really, as believers, this is easy. This should be easy for us, right? This is who we say our hope resides in. This is the one who we say is Lord and Savior of our life. It should be easy for us in a discipleship relationship to point them back to Jesus, right? This should be easy. This should be what we do, pointing them to Jesus. Gospel-centered, gospel-pointing, gospel-driven discipleship. But I do want to pause here for a moment and notice something else in the text. In verse 10, we see that Timothy was taught by Paul, but if you look down at verses 14 and 15, it says that, he says to Timothy, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul here understood that this discipleship method, this strategy, was a team effort, right? Timothy wasn't, Paul wasn't Timothy's first person to disciple him. Timothy had been discipled by whom? Well, if you look at 2 Timothy 1.5, he was discipled by his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice, right? A faith that dwelt in them first and then dwelt in Timothy. They were the ones who had discipled Timothy to a relationship with Jesus and had discipled Timothy. And then Paul comes in and just picks up the piece, right? And says, I'm going to carry you now for a while. This is a team effort. And I think that's helpful for us because to have the weight of a person's walk with Christ on your shoulders alone would be daunting, would be daunting, but it's a team effort. Timothy had multiple people who had discipled him, and the important thing for us is to have multiple people who disciple us. Think about your life, your walk with Christ. How many people have poured into it over the years, right? I'm sure there's been more than one. It's an important piece to have multiple people pouring in, in a discipleship relationship and investing. You know, we've all heard that phrase, it takes a village to raise a child. I think we've heard the phrase, okay? It takes a village to raise a child. The same thing is true in Christianity. It takes a village to raise mature believers, to raise those who are ready to go and do the same thing. You know, I, I often am looking into student ministry and trends and trying to figure out where things are going. And, you know, there's a, a bit of a concern that a lot of students, as they graduate out of student ministry and out of local churches, leave local churches. They no, longer, they no longer go. But studies show that when a student has four or five adults invested in their life, they are that much more likely to stay connected to a local church. Why is that? Well, I think it's because they've been given relationships centered around Jesus, right? They've, they've got these people in their life who are pointing them to Jesus, who are following after Jesus, and they're like, their life seems to make sense, right? They, they seem to have it together. Not easy, but they seem, they, they've got hope. Their life is uh, centered around Jesus, but they've also been taught in those relationships to love Jesus more and to want to go and make disciples the same way. This is the model. This is the pattern. This is essentially what we're trying to do in student ministry down here at Stables Mill, is to raise students to love Jesus and to cause them to want to invest in the next generation. This is the call. But when you get those two things right, 
when they graduate and move to college or on to the next phase of life, the need for a local church is too big of a need to ignore because they're looking for a place to invest and they're looking for someone to invest in them. This model of discipleship helps immensely with keeping the next gen in the church. It really is a team effort. Paul's just the latest one in the path of discipleship. But all of it, the whole effort is rooted in what? It's rooted in the scriptures. Paul's all about the gospel. He's pointing to Jesus. How's he doing it? Well, through the scriptures. What's he tell Timothy in, in verse 16? All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Paul understood that this relationship with Timothy had to be built upon the word of God. It's what got Timothy to salvation in the first place because he was made wise and unto salvation through the scriptures by his mom and grandmother, and is what's going to carry him through to maturity, is this dedication and commitment to the scriptures. And that's what Paul says in verse 17, so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Raising up Timothy through teaching and focus on the gospel and the word so that he would be a disciple equipped to carry out the Great Commission, which really just means to do discipleship. Right? This was the goal. But there is a warning for us here, I think, when we talk about this idea of teaching, is we have to be ready and able to teach. And the author in Hebrews 5 actually says to the believers, he says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. See, the expectation is that they should already have been what? They should already have been teachers, but they weren't. They weren't. So we have to make sure we're equipping ourselves well, that we love Jesus, that we point ourselves to Jesus, that we spend time in his word so that we can do the same for others and point them to that. If you're walking with Jesus and you love and spend time in his word, you are equipped and able to disciple. And so we identify, we inform. Two more eyes. Okay, we integrate for the purpose of imitation. All right, we integrate for the purpose of imitation. So here's what I mean by that. If you look at verses 10 and 11, it says this. You, however, have followed my teaching, which we just talked about. But then Paul goes on and says, you have followed my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. See, I read that and I just imagine Timothy having a front row seat to the life of Paul, to a life sold out to the glory of Jesus. What's, what's Paul say? Timothy has seen how Paul conducted himself. He saw how Paul carried himself. He saw what Paul aimed at day after day. Like, what were his passions? What was he doing? What was his purpose in life? He saw him at home. He saw him on the road. He saw him in the marketplace. He saw him at church. He saw him with his friends. He saw him with his enemies. Right? He saw every part of Paul's life. He saw Paul's faith on display. He saw how much he loved the church and the members of it. He saw how he endured persecutions and sufferings because of this love for Jesus and how through the persecutions and sufferings, how Paul was actually made more steadfast and more complete because of his commitment to the gospel. So, so through all these things that's going on in Paul's life, who's there? Timothy. Now we know he sent Timothy at different times to different places, but Timothy was often with Paul. And he was just sitting there taking notes, right? Here's Paul who's been teaching me, and I've been hearing him teach about the gospel and about the, the word and about the scriptures and about glorifying God in our life. And then what do I see over here? I see Paul doing it, right? We've got to be willing to integrate people into 
our lives. This was Paul's overall strategy with his churches, too. If you would look at 1 Thessalonians 2, in verse 8, it says that Paul was affectionately, affectionately desirous of them. He was ready to share with them not only the gospel, but also his own self, right? Paul was willing to give all of himself to those whom he was discipling. He wanted to share the gospel, but he shared himself as well. Experience really is a great teacher, is it not? It's often when we see something in action that it actually gets solidified. It's one thing to hear it, but when you see it, it's that much more real to us. But again, lest we think this was Paul's idea, it wasn't, right? Jesus, who had identified his 12, and we see all through the Gospels him teaching them day after day, they journeyed with him, right? They were with him day after day. Mark 3, 14, he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and so that he might send them out to preach. So Jesus, the master discipler, the one whom we take all of our cues from, understood the value of sharing life. He understood the value of life on life discipleship, and how giving someone this in into our lives lets them see us live out what we have taught. It's essential in creating mature disciples. And so this is what we see Paul doing with Timothy. This was a vital piece of his strategy, and I would argue that it has to be a vital piece of our strategy as well. You know, this will and should involve letting that person we've identified and that we're trying to teach, letting them into our lives. But this is vulnerable as well, because when you let someone into your lives, what do they see? They see the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? They see the victories, but they see the struggles. So they see all of it. You know, but this is not a call to perfection, nor is it a call to arrogance, right? We don't have to be perfect to disciple someone, because we will never be perfect, right? To let someone into our life doesn't mean I have to have it all together. It just means I have to love Jesus, and I have to love his word, and I want to invest. That's all it means. But also over here, it doesn't mean that we're just trying to say and act like we have everything together, and we want them to become like us. We don't. We want them to become like Christ. This is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ, right? So we say, I'm not perfect. I'm just trying to follow Jesus, and here's how I'm doing it, and I want to bring you along in that, right? I'm going to mess up. I'm going to make mistakes. It's part of the discipleship process in my own life, but also giving you in to see how I handle that, right? When I make up, when I make mistakes, how I lean on Jesus through those things. When I have victories, how I praise him during those victories. But this only works, this integration for imitation, if our life is worth imitating, right? Our lives individually have to be pointed to Jesus. You know, uh, a few years back when we lived here before, my buddy came down and we went to watch a Liverpool uh, preseason game in North Carolina. Um, for those of you who don't know, that's football, but the European version where they actually use their feet. Okay, that kind of football. I don't have a problem with American football. I'm just making sure we're clear on that. Um, but so we were going down to this game and he had just had his first child. And I had two kids at this point who were still fairly young. And pretty much the whole three hour trip down there, all we talked about was the, the importance of practicing what we preached. Right. Like raising our kids in the church is good, necessary and should be done. We should teach it at home, as Deuteronomy 6 told us. But how important and vital it was that we actually lived it out in our own lives. Because if we didn't do that, our kids were going to uh, figure out that we were liars and Jesus wasn't worth it. Right? See, my buddy and I, we'd grown up in a Christian school and, and I enjoyed my time there. I learned a lot of my truths about scripture from that time. But so many kids that grew up in that school with me, their parents put them there so that they would become good Christian kids, but they didn't live it out in their own life. 
And I'd see friend after friend just leaving the faith, leaving the faith, leaving the faith, because it wasn't being imitated at home. It wasn't being lived out at home. It's vital that we have both pieces here. We have to teach, but we have to, to imitate Christ ourselves. And so as we think about parents leading our kids to love Jesus more, do we love Jesus more? You know, do we love his church more? Are our priorities lining up? For all of us as church members, same questions, right? Do we love Jesus that much that people look at us and say, that person imitates Christ, and I'm going to follow them? If it doesn't, look to someone that does, learn from them, and then go and do. That's the design, and that's the call. I remember um, at my church in Maryland, I actually put this strategy into place, and I'd identify a couple students um, who I would just kind of go after. I'd pray for the Lord to to lay some on my heart, and then, you know, I'd go after these students and try to build a relationship with them so that I could disciple them. And I remember there were these three kids on a Sunday morning, three guys, and um, I spent the first two years trying to get this one kid to like me. It didn't go well. It took two years, okay? And I don't think I'm a, that unlikable of a guy, but he didn't, he didn't care for me for some reason. But for two years, just, you know, building a relationship, asking him about what's going on, going to his games, supporting him, talking with his parents, you know, trying to build a relationship until one, one night something pretty bad had happened in his life and, and he, he reached out to me via text and asked me a question. And there we go. We were off and running, right? And then from there it became, hey, let's, let's hang out. Let's come, come along with me. Let's, let's go do things together. Let's talk about the Bible. Let's point uh, each, each other to Jesus. This was the model. And I tell you that story because it's actually this morning uh, there's a church in North Carolina that's voting on him to become their next student pastor, right? And so I tell you that not, not because it's anything I did. We know Jesus did the work. I just pointed him that way. But I was talking to him yesterday as I was just touching base and telling him I wanted to pray for him. Um, and he told me, he said, what's crazy? And he didn't know what I was preaching on. He said, what's crazy is I look back at my life and I see all these people that had a part in getting me to this point, right? There's that team effort. People building in and, and at, for seasons and then some for longer. But this idea of people who came along, identified, taught, lived life with him and, and demonstrated how to follow Jesus. And now he wants to go and do the same with these students, right? This is the picture. This is the model that we see. And so this is why we do it. We live a life worth imitating. We teach them to love Jesus because we want them to go and do the same. Second Timothy 4. Paul here is pretty much telling Timothy that. Right? He says, I charge you in the presence of God. Preach the word in verse 2. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience in teaching. Right? Paul is commissioning Timothy to do what? To go and do what he did, which is discipleship. Right? He said, preach. Be ready. Disciple those whom the Lord gives you. If you jump up to 2 Timothy 2.2, uh, Paul says this to Timothy, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men, yes, elders specifically, in, in that context, is who Timothy is raising up as the next pastors. But I think the principle remains, and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Right? So Paul has raised up Timothy and has instructed him to go and teach faithful men and raise them up so that they would do what? To go and teach others also. This is the model and practice of discipleship. And Paul is just commissioning Timothy, who's already doing ministry, but he's challenging him to continue to do the ministry. Timothy was launched with the purpose of discipleship. So he was initiated into this discipleship 
strategy. So if we look at what Paul did, he just learned this all from Jesus, right? Jesus sent out the disciples two by two, right? And they came back for more training. And then when does he commission them? Great commission. The commission that we've received as well, right? Go into all the world and make disciples. This is the call. And so Paul just did what Jesus did. He identified Timothy. He informed him. He taught him. He, he, he grounded him in the scriptures. He pointed him to Jesus. He brought him into his life. They traveled together. He saw Paul live life. And he said, hey, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And then he told Timothy, now go and do it. You know, uh, us as pastors, we were at the SBCV homecoming this week, which is just a gathering of all the SBCV churches in Virginia. And uh, we just had some guest speakers and that type of thing. And Vance Pittman, uh, he's the president of the SEND Net Network. He was speaking and preaching one night, and he quoted William James, and the quote just fits so well that I stole it from him. It says this, The great use of a life is to spend it for something that outlasts it. Right? Paul understood this. Paul knew his time was coming to an end. We see that in, in chapter 4. He knew that death was imminent, but Paul had reproduced himself. But he didn't just reproduce himself, right? The goal wasn't to create another Paul. We've already seen it. The goal was to leave a legacy of someone who was going to make much of Christ. And that's what he did. Paul's legacy wasn't the one continuing. It was that of Christ. Timothy was going to do discipleship and continue the legacy. And so, as, as I said at the beginning, if we would get this right, it really would transform our church. It really would transform our community. It really would transform the world. Every person identified as someone to be discipled, every person growing in their knowledge of the gospel, their love for Jesus, and then every person, as they're growing, seeking others to disciple so that they're growing as well. You know, you don't have to wait till you're fully grown. In fact, we can't wait till we're fully grown because none of us will ever be fully grown. We're always all in need of discipleship. But imagine with me if we would do it. Imagine if we would do it. Imagine the growth. Imagine the gospel spread. This church taps out pretty quick. Then where do we have to go? We've got to go into the world, right? Once, we're, once we've got discipleship happening here, we're ready to go. We're ready to launch. We're ready to reach the community and then the greater world with the gospel. This doesn't happen by itself. It can't happen by itself. It's no accident. There's a strategy here. And while the church helps and the church equips and the church preaches and the church gives opportunities to serve within, the call, biblically as a church, is to raise up the saints to go and do the work of the ministry. That's why the church exists, to send gospel ambassadors into the world. And that happens through discipleship. It happens for each of us individually to take up the call to disciple. But as we consider the Great Commission here at the close, we've already covered it a few times, but at the very end of it, it says, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's Jesus promising us that we are not alone in this. Remember we talked about that team effort, how... This is a big weight to have on our shoulders ourselves, how we need others investing in it. We ultimately know that Jesus is the one doing the work. He's the one with us. We do it for Jesus, but we do it with Jesus because it's all about Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the truths we see in your scripture, for the patterns that we see in your word. We know, as we sang earlier, you alone are worthy. You're worthy of it all. You're worthy of all of our lives. You call us to love you more and more each day on an individual level. You call us to fall in love with your word more and more each day, but you also call us to bring others along in that love. 
Lord, I pray that you will challenge us as a church to take up this call for discipleship, that we will be known for our, our love for you, and that we will want have a passion to share it with those around us. And so as they come to love Jesus, they will go and do the same. You really are worth it, Lord, and we just pray that we will uh, just be uh, the people you want us to be and disciple those that you've given us in our lives. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.